0: Welcome to Conversations with Future Generation. I'm Louise Walsh, the CEO of the impact investing companies Future Generation Australia and Future Generation Global. In this series, we explore the worlds of investing, philanthropy, mental health and supporting children and youth at risk with amazing Australians who are leading the way. Joining us today is Peter Morgan, a former doyen of the funds management industry in Australia Peter was the head of equities at Perpetual in the 1990s and then went on to set up his own funds management firm 452 Capital in 2002. He made a name for himself for performance and as a large shareholder who was willing to be outspoken about companies in which he invested. He was a ferocious agitator against established boards and management. He's been out of the game for about 10 years now and these days is a private investor, who has emerged as a powerful voice for independent investors. Peter happens to be also an investor in Future Generation. It's lovely to have the opportunity to talk with you today, Peter, and welcome. Okay, Louise. Good, now, first question, Peter, is a bit of an icebreaker. Who's been your biggest inspiration and why? I think to break that up, there's probably been
1: four inspirational periods in my career or in my life, um, starting with my parents in the sense that um, they had me very early. My dad was 22, and my mum was 18. And at the time, they they didn't have a lot of money. They were they were renting uh, almost everything, including including a TV and a house and the like. And but they became successful. And I don't know where it started, but as I watched them succeed from from basically nothing to being successful in in real estate and the like, um, it sort of it sort of caught on to me and. I wanted to be successful um, as I, you know, as as I matured and got older, and um, so it was a bit, bit of a cats, cats in the cradle as the song goes, sort of um, thought process. And then, then having not been the smartest kid at school, but scraped into university, um, and this might sound a little bit bizarre, but it does make a little bit of sense when you talk about markets later on. Um, I went to university um battled my way through it but while I was there I took a job on the racetrack with uh, with a big bookmaker in the early 80s and um, if people remember that time you know the racetrack had 250 to 300 bookies still operating and I was working for one of the biggest and and I stayed there 3 years but one of the jobs I had there was uh, on the second day I started I was I was told to go and work with one of the professional punters that was relaying information about what was happening in the markets or in the in the betting ring back to the bookie. And and I'll never forget on the on the second day that I was second day in the job it was a Saturday at Rose Hill and I'd been standing with this professional punter for you know for the whole day and we'd got to race seven and I can re- remember the the race course announcer saying that Sprayette has won Won the seventh, starting at fifty to starting at fifty to one, and as I was standing as his professional punter, people were walking past were saying, uh, um, "Well done, Gary! Well done, Gary!" And I was trying to work out what the what the hell they was, why they were saying that. And then Gary turned to me and he said, "Pete, go and collect these these betting tickets and betting tickets." And I went off and I don't know what it was, but uh, it was probably a hundred thousand dollars. And back in those days, um, you know, it was a lot of money. And the point of that was that I st- stood there all day watching markets and I was a little bit interested in it, but I hadn't seen this guy place a bet and it sort of taught me to pay attention as to what was going on you know in the marketplace and to be a little bit street wise and then when i left when then when I left university uh, uh, I did chartered accounting um, and became qualified um, but was getting a little bit bored with it and in doing that I took a job at b t Australia and in the mid '80s, and BT Australia at that time was in its gung ho days. It was, you know, it was just a terrific place to work. Uh, you know, guys like Chris Corrigan, uh, Gillian Broadbent was there. Uh, you know, Rob Ferguson was there. But underneath them, there was a whole group of young people that, uh, you know, were taking on the big banks and uh, and uh, the life offices at the time, and being, you know, quite um, quite novel and entrepreneurial in their approach and. You know, I was just the internal auditor going around to these young guys, and it, I sort of thought to myself, you know, the financial markets are sort of, are sort of interesting. You know, I'd love to find the next BT, BT matured at that stage, and there wasn't much of a chance for me. So I took a job then from that into stock breaking, and and one of my clients, um, and this is in '87, uh, one of my clients uh, during that period was 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 perpetual, and I would got that account basically because it was a small. Um, a small, small client, and I've been given that, and that led that led me to meeting, um, you know, the perpetual guys, i.e., Anton Taglifera and a few others, and they asked me to go up there, and and the final stage, uh, or the second last stage, and probably the whole um, uh, influential base that I that I was brought up with was that when I walk, walk, walked into perpetual, you know, we were left with a portfolio of. Uh, about $70 million in an industrial share fund that was made up of 40 stocks. 30 of those stocks weren't covered by the marketplace because they were, um, you know, they they were old old traditional companies that didn't have a lot of turnover, but they were great companies. And that, that led us to go and look at those companies and explore those companies in our own right. And that sort of developed the foundation for what, you know, then I based... Um, you know my f- future investing career on, and finally the other the other influential factor was uh, was a it was a competitive influence, and that came from a guy called Greg Perriott at, at First State, and as we grew at Perpetual, um, he was a not only a worthy competitor, but one of the you know one of the best competitors that that that, that, that I've seen in the marketplace, or investors that I've seen in the marketplace. So if you put all those things together, it was an inspiration early on to be successful. It was you know, learning about markets at the racetrack, it was stumbling into financial services by, by BT, getting to perpetual and then being left with a portfolio of stocks that, that no one was covering, the forces to get out and uh, and look at them. And... And finally, there was a competitive influence from, from someone that I respected in the marketplace. Fascinating! I, I love
0: the uh, bookmaking addition uh, uh, in there as well. So it, it, it certainly co- adds a bit of colour.
1: Well, the similarities—it's it's amazing. It's amazing, Louise, when I think back on it, the similarities between the marketplace and uh, well, the, the racetrack and, and, the, and the share market. The, there are similarities there. You know, you know—it's hurdle at times. You know, I think even Charlie Munger said it once that the. Uh, the paramutual, the TAB is 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 similar to the is similar to the share market in the sense that there's all this information that's available to putters and the prices are set, but the prices may not necessarily be right.
0: Now, look, I know you probably get asked this question quite a bit, but what what are your three lessons for investing if we if we simplify it right down?
1: Yeah, if I had to if I had to narrow it down, and again, I think you know it's coming from. You know what, I believe that investing is more an art than a science, although there's some science in it. But, you know, one of the most important things is for an investor to be patient. Um, it's all too easy to to sell too early or, you know, or sell too late, for want of a better word. There's a lot of herds in, there's a lot of hurdle uh, behaviour in markets. Um, and it's important to know where the herd is in terms of euphoria and, and in, terms of, in, in terms of pessimism. And if you can get a feel for that, you know, you, you want to be there at the right time not at the not at the wrong time and probably the you know the third thing to round that out is the importance of fundamentals, which includes you know understanding accounting, understanding the company you're investing in, and also you know what you're paying for a company in terms of you know potential value and I think as as Peter Lynch has said in his book, you know, one up on Wall Street. It's, an, it's also important to break when you when you're valuing a company to break it down or understand what type of company it is. And it, it may well be an asset play. It may well may well be uh, you know a growth company. It may be a cyclical company, as in a mining stock, or it may just be a turnaround. But it's important to know what are the dynamics that will you know will value that company based on those those break up uh, uh, classifications.
0: Now, look, I, I'm guessing you probably find this current period quite fascinating with you with your your background and your interest. In this current period, is it similar to other periods you've invested through? I mean, especially with the irrational exuberance on some stocks and indices. What's your view on all this?
1: If I go back through my career, Louise, there's probably been, you know, four distinct points that um, yeah where markets have done unusual things. The first of those was in nineteen eighty seven. And I'd started in stockbroking in June '87, and the share markets collapsed in October '87. And overnight, they lost 20% of their value. Um, and in Australia, the main reason for that is that you know the entrepreneurs, whether they be Alan Bond or Christopher Scase and the like, had, had borrowed too much money, and and the markets collapsed. And because they were invested in share market assets, they suffered the hardest. And that was that was more a one-off overnight sort of event. The second one, and maybe the one you're referring to, was um, was 2001, which was more like the which was termed the .dot com boom. And but there's a difference between that when you look back at it. At that period of time, the internet was was relatively immature, as were the companies that were operating in it. And companies like um, you know companies like Amazon, um, to a lesser extent Microsoft, or, or even Apple. Um, were fundamentally different to the, to what they are today but underneath them there was a whole heap of other companies you know whether it be pets.com or whatever that were trading on promise rather than um you know what what they were actually going to achieve but and if you can contrast that to to where we are today uh with the technology boom in the us the companies are somewhat more mature and they've developed themselves you know for example you know Amazon is, is now well established in the like where it wasn't in 2001 but the valuations are uh, you know are a lot harder to justify in terms of what you're paying for the companies themselves uh, now that they are mature and they and they are earning money uh, so it's somewhat different and now the other period that I went through was 2007 which in 2007 2008 when the GFC occurred and that was that was basically financial engineering with um, you know speculation tied to debt debt and interest rates, uh, so it was you know it was somewhat different but I think the other thing to remember is we 're in an environment where no one 's really dealt with a, a pandemic in a major way in financial markets as, as they are today and if I was to just to, just to talk go back to you know go back six months to march this year i 've never seen the markets as volatile as they were in March where they were down twelve percent one night and up eight percent the next night and and that went on for you know that went on for a good you know, two weeks or 10 days, 10 trading days. I've never seen anything like that. But where we are today, I think the biggest concerns I've got with regards to the market is that we've still got a lot of the stimulus to to unwind, not only in Australia, but globally. But in the US, we've got this phenomenon where stocks, and they're very big stocks, they're going up the equivalent in one night of, you know, some of our biggest stocks in terms of market value in one night here in Australia, i.e. the market value of, say, Woolworths, I think Walmart went up the other night, the total market value of Woolworths in one night, and, and and a company like Apple is now worth as much as the whole of the US. Uh, sorry, is, is is worth as much as the, the whole of the United Kingdom top one hundred stocks, and it's it's and you know mm-hmm. companies like Tesla, crazy, uh, you know, are racing mm-hmm. around like you know like there's no tomorrow, and it's a lot of the market today seems to me to be trading on, um, on in, on, on news on on news and not fundamentals. I mean, if an announcement's made you know, some them's doing something or, you know, they got to go into this or they've got to go in that. It's 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 bouncing a stock around 5 or 6%, not based upon the fundamentals, but basically based upon the news flow, which which is a dangerous sign. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think, you know, I'm not quite sure we are. It's very hard. No one rings a bell at the top, but I think, we've, you know, I think we are getting close to the midnight in terms of where the US market is.
0: And how has money, managing money changed? I mean, over the years, given, I mean, given today the access to information and the increasing use of technology i mean do you think it's easier or harder uh today to outperform
1: depends how to find you know i mean I've, I've now that i'm now now that i'm managing my own money um or my <laughs> own wealth the first point i call for myself, louise uh not being a fund manager is to to preserve capital and not lose it when you're a fund mm. manager you, you're investing against you know rightly or wrongly against a benchmark or an index and you can still lose other people's money, but you can outperform an index and over time maybe be rewarded for that outperformance, but the underlying investors lost. So there's a major, there's a major difference between what I'm doing now and what I was doing in the past. But having said that, when I started in the, in the finance industry in 1987, you know I can still remember that you know every night we'd send off a telex to London telling London what had happened in the Australian market via a telex operator. Um, sending that information off. And, you know, obviously today you can, you can go on the internet or go on Twitter or whatever, and you're getting, you know, a constant feed of information that's breaking, you know, minute by minute. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot more, it's a lot more faster and, you know, it's a lot more faster and direct, but, but then you're starting to cross over into that sort of trading mentality, which becomes dangerous because, you know, it's very hard for, you know, a billion dollar company, let alone a trillion dollar company to, to, to navigate itself on an information flow in, in five minutes and that's what markets have you know basically you know potentially you know come down to but the underlying the underlying way you should invest hasn't changed you know i do believe in that
0: and have you needed to change how you run money in the last 10 years or so
1: i went back through my career louise you know as i said at the start you know when i started at perpetual and walked into perpetual with a, a few others there was 70 million dollars in the industrial share fund but, and when I when I left Perpetual, I left having managed up to seven billion dollars, seven billion dollars in money. Mm-mm. And then when I was at Four Five Two, we got up to nine billion dollars in money. And I'm obviously not managing anywhere near that now on my own. Mm-hmm. And the problem with managing, you know, funds management to a large extent, again getting back to the race, the race or the racetrack analogy, it's like it's like a race horse in, in a race. You know, weight, i.e., money for a fund manager will will slow the fund manager down because they can only invest. Uh, they can only invest in a smaller number of stocks because they're getting bigger. And if you think about it, if I'm managing $9 billion of money and I want to want to put um, 1% of that in a stock, well, that's $90 million I've got to get into a company. And if you flip that back the other way, you know, if you want to limit yourself to taking 5% or 10% of the company for liquidity reasons, it, it takes you into the top, you know, it basically means you can only invest in the top 50 or the top, you know, the top 25 stocks, depending on your size the heck you know to get a bang for your buck whereas if i'm managing money you know 70 million dollars when we were at perpetual we can invest in all these great old companies and and run with them and grow with them and 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 all that sort of stuff so you know there are there are some subtle differences you know as you as you you know as you get bigger in terms of managing money
0: as one of the great
1: value investors that you are
0: i mean would you mind sharing what are you buying now Job picks.
1: Firstly, I, as I said, I am a little bit cautious with regards to the U.S. markets, and there's not a lot of visibility as to you know um, a lot of this you know the stimulus job keeper and the like in Australia winding off, and you know the banks are still got a, a, a reasonable amount of mortgages out there that have been deferred or uh, put in temporary suspension at the moment. But but having said that, the type of companies that I'm looking at at the moment, and again, I think it's important to say you know if I'm doing a good job or any investor is doing a good job, they're only going to get seven out of ten right. If they're doing a very good job, sometimes, and I think I've heard Jeff say this, you know, mm. times, you know, if you, if you're getting five out of ten, right, you, you're doing well. But the type of companies I'm looking at at the moment, you know, Reef Casino, for example, I'm watching quite closely. It's a casino operator up in up in Queensland. It's not earning any money at the moment, uh, basically, because well, it's earning money now, but it wasn't up until the end of mm. period of June because of the uh, the pandemic suspensions and the like. Um, mm. As you alluded to it. At the start, I have got some positions in some of these LICs basically because they are trading at, or have been trading at substantial discounts to asset backing. Now, and when I say substantial, some of them at times have ranged between 15 and 20%. um, And that's sort of quite a conservative approach in terms of investing in the sense that there's always a possibility that 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 discount will shrink. Uh, And you're already starting to see that, you know, Paul Moore with his, Two uh, two vehicles has put in place a you know a five percent buyback. Um, the anti-paid guys uh, headed up with uh, Chris Cuthers, I think, as chairman, have, have put in a structure where they're going to try and shrink the discount if it stays there over the next two years. And um, and, and you know, and Ashok at uh, Elliston has done the same sort of thing. So what I'm saying is that you know if you've got a twenty percent discount there, you're buying you know a dollar of asset backing for, for eighty cents, and if you can have confidence in the managers and I do have confidence in those guys and and, and I've got a position in uh, Wilson's global with, um, you know, the lady there running that that's, that's doing a very good job. I think, you know, they're not, they're not a bad place to be um, in the marketplace and, and, I, and this may sound a little bit confidential, controversial. You know, I am looking quite closely at a couple of the coal stocks um, uh, such as new hope um, all stocks such as Woodside and Alumina, um, on the aluminium side. But as I said, I'm looking at these, I'm taking small positions in with them at the moment. But, you know, you ask me where I am, that's where I am. But, you know, I do stress if everyone's going to, you know, invest in anything, they, they should be seeking advice
0: if they don't understand what they're doing. Like. Absolutely. Love the disclaimer. Um, and how important <laughs> is considering the, the macroeconomic backdrop and the central bank actions for investing today versus in the past? I mean, is that a key factor?
1: We've come out of the GFC and that was, you know, that's over a decade ago. And for for more than a decade now, we've had basically the the central banks cornering the interest rate market now. um, And so the recession that was announced yesterday, um, to some extent is completely different to the recession we had in, well, I went through in the early 90s in the sense that the central bank, i.e. the RBA could cut from around interest rates of around about 15%, you know, down to seven or whatever they ended up at, um, and build confidence that way. Today, we've gone into a recession, and I know it may well be a short recession because, you know, what happens if the pandemic clears. It may not be, but it may be. But the central bank positioning is such that, not only here domestically, but globally, interest rates and the bang for the buck you can get from cutting interest rates um, is not is not there. And... You know, as I said, whereas the Reserve Bank in the early '90s could cut from 15% and cut quite hard and build confidence that way, they're basically out of the picture today because they've got rates so low. Now, there's a lot of talk at the moment about modern monetary theory and quantity easing and all that sort of thing. Um, not only I don't think that has I don't think that's proved been proved to be successful anywhere in the world. But the other important point is it's never been unwound. So. Talking about the recession, if you know, if you want to get dramatic about it, that we had reported yesterday, the important factor, as we're seeing, and it's you know started quite quickly with regards to the pandemic, is going to be the fiscal response of governments. Um, but I'm still of the view that you know it's it's still early, it's still early days in terms of playing itself out, and there's still a lot um, that needs to be unwound, and um, you know those dynamics, you know, have to. Have to have to pay themselves out.
0: Just changing tack a, a little bit here. I mean, what was it like leaving funds management after you know you had such a rock star status in the industry? I mean, how how you know? How... Well,
1: firstly, rock star is a terrible word, and if, and if you know if you're calling someone a rock star, and I mean this um, in in the nicest possible way, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the the good guy, go- the, you know, the good days are gone, um, and. Uh, and to some extent, that was true with myself, Louise. I mean, we got to the stage, and I'd got to the stage that I was running so much money that was, I was, you know, it was like, you know, flogging a horse that was carrying a lot of weight. And um, but there was another dynamic that played out in, in me leaving, and that was that you know I was misdiagnosed with terminal cancer, and you know that led one thing led to another. And but having gone through all that with regards to the, the diagnosis of, of cancer and that sort of thing, it opened sort of opened up a lot, you know, my eyes to you know, money's not everything. Um, you know, i would made a reasonable amount of money. I could, you know, was a lot more than most people will ever earn in their lifetime. And you know, it 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 gave me the opportunity to to do other things and enjoy life a lot more. And um, you mm. know, as they say, mm. you know, smell the bruise And I don't, I don't mean that in a flippant sense. I mean, I just mean it in the sense that, you know, I, I've I've never been, you know, like, you know, I'm just very happy at the moment. You know, it's obviously a pain in the neck that the pandemic's going on that you know you can't travel you can't you know, it's a lot worse in melbourne it's a lot worse in a lot of other places around the world but mm. you know you know i spent a lot of time travelling in the last 10 years i've spent a lot of time going to you know to concerts and that sort of stuff and but i've mm. always had an interest in the marketplace and i'm still tracking it on a day to day night night basis so mm. you know i'm lucky like that like a lot of other people retire Um, You know, if they working in a bank or a chemical factory, they don't have that that luxury.
0: And when you're in the game, you know, because I know having, you know, I work out of the office of Wilson Asset Management. So I work alongside the investment team. And obviously, we've got all these fund managers that that are involved with us. I mean, how, how did you switch off? Like, that's what I found. It's fascinating watching, you know, the investment team work. You know, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Well,
1: I don't mm-hmm. think you ever switch off, Louise. I, you know, I still have trouble switching off now, although mm. I've got better at doing it. I don't, but again, that's what I'm, I'm trying to stress. You can over, you can over micromanage, you know, uh, an investment mm. or a position. Um, but it's it's always interesting. It, it was never, I've, you know, I never thought of it as a right. nine to five job. It was more like you know, it was more like a sport to me in, in some ways, um, and I still think it is. You know, for, for Jeff or David Paradise or you know Anton or whoever, or even the young guys that are coming through and girls that are coming through now, it's it's a sport more than it. it's more it's more than a you know more than a a job, and you know that's part and parcel of why you you like it. You, you know, I mean, when, hmm. when when we started at Perpetual, it, it was never about money because we it, it was perpetual estate. Oh, you know um mm. you know, trustee mm. house. Um, mm. there was no bonuses paid in the first couple of years. You know, we walked into something at a time we were going through the recession we had to have for want of a better word, and we just we just found a job that we loved. And you know I was I was very lucky. I still think about those early back in those early days at Perpetual. We had a lot of fun. Like we were going out to companies, visiting companies, um, companies that, you know, brokers weren't going to, and you know, with different guys and girls, you know, one or two of us together, and it was just, it was honestly a lot of fun, and it, it was, there was a lot of funny times as well.
0: <laughs> now, look, is is the funds management a career you'd suggest to your son and daughter to enter today? I mean, I know when oh, I was sure. growing up, right, I never, like, I'm fifty five. I mean, I'd never heard of the industry until I was in my forties. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I studied law, but it was all about being a doctor, a lawyer, or a, you know, an accountant, you know, I, I knew a bit about broking, but I certainly didn't even have any much idea about that industry. Well
1: I think I think you saw it. I mean I I think it's important not to try and guide your children, uh, in the sense that um, you know, and again, going back to that example I was just giving you, you know, when I you know, when I fell into perpetual and you know, when Anton fell into perpetual and when, you know, David Paradise fell into, you know, what he's done and, you know, Greg Perry went to started at First State, everyone in 1990-91 wanted to be a stockbroker. There was no funds management industry. Mm. Basically, a lot of us got the jobs in funds management because, you know, no one else wanted them. And then at the same time as that was occurring, um, you know, superannuation and the markets had been deregulated mainly by, by Paul Keating, superannuation was getting underway. And an industry that hadn't been really thought about um, as a as a career, to any great extent, proved mm-hmm. to be you know a, fer, a fertile hunting ground. Today, you know, whereas back in nineteen ninety ninety one, there was probably you know twenty fund managers in Australia. Today, I reckon there's probably a thousand just operating in Australian equities. If you you know just mm-hmm. go by the unknown yep. names there, it's become a lot more competitive. Superannuation now is you know whereas it was. Under a hundred billion dollars when I when I started across Australia, it's now over, you know, it's almost three trillion dollars, um, and that has meant much the same for for a fund manager in the sense that, as the big super funds like Australian Super and the like have gone from nothing to to 150 billion or close to 200 billion now. I can remember when Australian Super was you know it was three billion dollars, um, you know they've had to put more on money, more and more money. Offshore, more and more money into infrastructure, and and that's also come at a time when the number of companies listed in Australia has, uh, or the, no, the number of good companies listed in Australia and also globally has has fallen fallen away. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't want to tell anyone not to go into funds management or not to go into investing, but just keep in mind it is somewhat different, and I don't think you should really ever do anything um to a large extent to chase money. Um, you know, money's Money's important. You've got to pay yourself, and you've got to survive, and that sort of thing. But if you're doing something for all the wrong reasons, mm. um, you know, it can lead to trouble. And um, and you know, again, if you look at look at a lot of university courses at the moment, whereas business was never really taught, accounting was taught, and economics was taught a bit when I was there. It's they now become main main spine subjects. Mm. I just think it's changed a lot. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not I'm not against it. It's just changed a lot. And I think, you know, I think. There's also other opportunities out there at the moment for for, for kids or whatever. And I mean uh, and it's usually where people aren't, you know, somewhere that's that's new or, or, or novel. I mean technology in Australia, medicine in Australia, engineering in Australia, even languages into Asia are somewhat, you know, not really talked about or not really developed as much as they should be. And that's probably yeah. where the opportunities are. But again, it's up to the individual person to be to be motivated and to back themselves, I think, if they want to really have a good go at it.
0: You know what's amazed me is how few females you see in the industry as well. I mean, I, I know I remember at WHAM, I think they had a they had an analyst. Well, body, i will probably
1: get right? I don't know I get in trouble for saying this, but yeah. um, you know, when we were at Four Five Two, and it was it was when I was at when when I'd set up Four Five Two, and I was there, I can remember that we had. I think there was eleven of us there, and seven. And I, I, it was never a driver. It was never anything like that. Seven of them were female, and it, awesome. And it was yeah. it was quite. <laughs> I sort of liked it in the sense that it was somewhat different, but it was never based upon. Mm. You know, it was never based upon sex. But I will say this, Louise, and one of the reasons I, you know, <laughs> I saw it firsthand is the responses. And I hope I don't get into trouble. I hope I'm saying this right. Mm-hmm. When a male talks to a female, is somewhat different when it's say, you know, broker a broker context or an investing context, mm. and mm. you can sort of there's different dynamics that play out, and they can often be to the advantage of the the person that's employing the female or whatever. If if, if you know, I, you know, on a dealing desk, I often saw you know, I often saw. Oh, you know, I hope this comes out right. I often saw male um, competitors open up a lot more to female dealers and the like mm. than they would have mm, otherwise. I and, I, yep. and I don't want that to sound you know bad or anything. I'm just yeah. saying it's a different dynamic, a dynamic of, of advantage rather than everything else. And it, was, it gets back to what I've said. Be, I've tried to articulate before, and it was never it was never intentional, but you could see the advantages of of it coming in terms of for want of a better word, because of diversity. Even though it wasn't intentional, there was a, a distinct—it was a distinct advantage. And I, I still, have, I, we had researchers coming in asking us to basically the question that you've just asked there: why did why we were we employing so many females? And it was never intentional. It was just—it hmm. was just—it was just the way it worked. It worked really well. It, it really worked well. It, it, it was different, and it's like a lot of things. If you're different,
0: you do get an advantage from it. And it wasn't ever intentional. You are one of the best followers on Twitter now, and, and, and it's interesting. A few people have told me that. Um, and I'm now following you myself. I mean, who are the favourite people you follow on Twitter and why? And why are you so active on Twitter?
1: If I if I go back to the start, getting involved on Twitter, I never thought I'd be having this conversation with anyone. But um, when I first did it, I'd left funds management and obviously social media was was growing and technology was growing. And I'd never really been exposed to technology when I was running money at Perpetual to any large extent. Um, the, and there's not many, there wasn't many and there still isn't a lot of technology companies that are, have any credibility, you know, listed in Australia. There's some, but there's not a lot. And and I sort of wanted just to try and get some involvement with regards to social media. I tried, you know, I tried Snapchat and I've never, I tried Facebook for about five minutes or five seconds and the same with, uh, the same with LinkedIn and and I just, I just got involved with it and sort of, you know, grew with it a little bit. And it's opened me up to a sort of a, a, res- a very good flow of information. You know, we all, you know, I think it's well known that it's, you know, it can be like being in a traffic jam, um, with, with cars banked up everywhere and there's road road rage going on everywhere um, to, to a large extent, uh, if that's if that's the right comparison. <laughs> so it can get it can get ugly, but the information flow. Is is quite good, and you can also you can learn you can learn stuff just in terms of psychology, you know, with regards to to people and the way they think, whether they be an economist, whether they be a fund manager that's on there, whether they be an investor that's on there, or or whether they be a politician that's that's on there. Donald it's, Trump, hey. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not only Trump. I mean, there's a few Australian politicians oh, I know, there. I know. If you watch, if you just Half watch the, the, their dynamics, yeah. you can you can read a lot into them. But it's mm. not either. It's 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 everyone. But but the main important thing it's it's been an information. And I didn't expect it. I was just trying to learn a bit bit about how social media operates. But you, I do I do find it interesting in terms of the information flow. It's introduced me into the into some of the some of the bigger tech. Um, People in the in the US, in terms of the people that write on tech, the people that analyse tech and the like, and also you know some of the some of the the economists and uh, analysts that you know financial analysts overseas, and uh, I, I just find it interesting. I just don't find it. Interesting. I, you know, I've often thought about you know you know just you know giving it up at times, and just you know it, it can be addictive. But I enjoy it in the sense that it's teaching me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. probably the best way. Of okay. No, and no, I actually no. believe that. I actually think the information flows very good. But, yeah, no, no. But then again, I'm probably a weird person. I think, you know, I think if you've got to be a fund manager or an investor, you do have to be a little bit different to to others. No, I,
0: I definitely get that. And what about just finally, any um anything interesting you've read of late, fiction or non-fiction, that you recommend?
1: Again, getting back, you know, I buy a lot of books, book, books, Louise, I and mean, then, you, know, I mean, you know, again, working from home, for want of a better word, you know, I'm getting – you know, a lot of stuff coming in from Amazon, whether it's a book or or magazines. But, you know, one thing I have done is I've subscribed to all the the major newspapers in the world, whether they be the Wall Street Journal or New York Times, the Washington Post, the Nikkei. I'm interested in the dynamics. We haven't really talked about, but I think there's a couple of things that are missing in the market in terms of negativity at the moment. I think, you know, the the Chinese-Australian relationship still has to play itself out, and I think that's been underrated. Mm. Uh, to a large extent mm. and also you know things like tourism and the like have to, have to have to play themselves out in this marketplace and it's just not the pandemic clearing that has to clear but it's 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 things like that that, that have to occur um, as we go forward
0: well look thank you peter i mean huge thanks um for joining us today i mean it's been a real pleasure to chat with you and to get your insights into the world of investing and and certainly beyond that and you know i love talking with people who've had a An adventurous career and who've been a true leader in their field and and certainly who call a spade a spade and you certainly um i think meet all of that criteria so thank you and uh i'm looking forward to the seventh edition of conversations with future generation which will be released in october so thank you again and stay safe and goodbye for now
1: thank you louise have fun bye-bye
0: thanks bye